What's going on, everyone? This is my interview with Harm Van Den Dorpel, renowned artist and really blockchain artist pioneer. Harm was doing stuff on Bitcoin back in 2015. This dude is significant historically there are only a handful of of artists who were releasing stuff on bitcoin and harm's one of them i literally knew nothing about this dude a few weeks ago when people started dming me like dude are you are you looking at harm stuff on OpenSea? and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about mutant garden cedar was absolutely blowing up this was his project he released on OpenSea. i think the first one on OpenSea, and absolutely blew up so i started digging in diving in and learning more about harm and he's fascinating uh leader in the space and was just doing stuff so early that he is historically significant and so it was a pleasure to have him on talk about stuff that's lost on bitcoin and how he's trying to get it back uh what's going to happen when he gets it back it's very interesting um this idea of what's going to happen with uh the art that he finds does he transfer it to the existing owners on Ethereum or what happens with that? We get into that quite a bit. There's just a lot of layers to this. I just, I hope you enjoy it because it uh, harms a really, really interesting and important figure in the NFT space. So enjoy my talk with Harm Vandendorpel. Tell me about how, I watched some interviews with you um, just to kind of get a feel for a little bit of your history, but can you tell, you know, people kind of a little bit of your history and how you got into kind of digital art. Although I know you refer yourself as an artist, not a digital artist, but an artist. Um, and just tell us a little bit about that history. So people know a little bit about you. Sure. I think of making things, things. Um, I was a bit obsessed with making things since I can remember uh, at some point, my, my father was working at the stock exchange or as an accountant. We got a, we, we got an IBM at home. Uh -huh. um, I loved it right away. I didn't understand it fully. And I encountered something like QBasic. So you open a text file and you press F5 and suddenly you have the game of Snake. I had a hunch that this, this gibberish text had something to do with that game, but anything I changed in the code just broke it. So I went to the library. I think I was like 12 or 13. There was no internet. So I got books to figure that out and started programming. Uh, it was. It seemed completely obvious that I should then start computer science. I, so I did software engineering and AI. Um, I, I found it interesting, but the mathematics was taking too much attention and the aesthetics weren't. I went to art school. Mm -hmm. um, there, the aesthetics were the only thing that mattered, but not the algorithms. So I was not really at home in either one of them. What um, year was that? How long ago was that? I graduated art school in 2016. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. recently. That's that's amazing. Sorry, um, 2006. Because you would have thought by that time people would start to have to have thought no. about this, right? I said it wrong. It is 2006. Oh, six. Okay, six. okay, yeah. I was gonna say that's that's a little only bit more ten right. years right. old. <laughs> no, no, it is yeah, 2006, yeah. and then I started also teaching there because I gave all the teachers such a hard time that they wouldn't be interested in the digital art. So they said, okay, you, you prove us wrong. So you start teaching here. So I did that for four years. I was at that time in Amsterdam. It's funny to see the hat behind you that has a apostrophe. Yeah, down. the Adam Tower in Amsterdam. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you're the first person to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we, we briefly lived in New York, me and my wife. And then she got pregnant and we figured Berlin would be the ideal place to raise a family. So we're there since 
2012. Yeah. And I had always encountered difficulties in the, in the, in the traditional art world of uh, selling, editioning digital art. I was invited around 2015 by an online, uh, um, well, online gallery called Coin Temporary. They were based in uh, Vienna. And this was when I encountered a scribe. And I really, before that crypto hadn't really made sense to me because like, I, I mean, I, I needed money, but I didn't need virtual money. I needed real money. <laughs> I need real money. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what are they talking about this currency all the time? Like, I don't care about currency exchange. But then when I, when I figured out they can also store, store other things in the blockchain, it immediately made sense. Then uh, my wife started working at this startup, Ascribe. I sort of became their example project or their case study. Um, uh, gave many presentations, used their API, collected, started then in my own online gallery because the scribe really helped. We, we did sell editions of digital art of mine to this museum, the Museum for Applied Art. That was amazing milestone in my career. Um, and then I thought this, this, is, this is actually interesting. This could also work for other people. Very few people understood what this was. So then we built left gallery uh, at that time, people were interested in digital art, but only very few of them were also interested to have the edition that they own also ascribed online. So let's, let's say one out of 10 people actually wanted, understood what the blockchain had to do with that. So we had always offered a sort of hybrid sales system where people can buy with Ether or not at that time. It was, um, yeah, that was one of the currencies we supported, but also PayPal and Stripe credit card. And additionally, some people also requested their token. Uh, right, so you were you were basically, if I bought uh, whatever, a GIF or whatever, I would be able to download it, right? Or a piece of yeah. software, I'd be able to download it and own it. But the provenance provided by the blockchain was an alternative that they could do, but it wasn't something that most collectors at the time were interested in. It yeah, I wouldn't say alternative. 20, yeah, but it, it, yeah, this 2015, 16, but not really an alternative, but an, an additional step. So, so I, I just always thought about all these people who do not request their token, um, we can take them in custody for them mm -hmm. on, on our, or our uh, well, at that time, a Scribe interface. But um, yeah, then this, this enthusiasm in 2015, 16, then gradually just completely disappeared. And fewer people were requesting these tokens, and I thought, okay, sorry, it was a good idea, but it's not just gonna, it's not gonna take on. Uh, I did. <laughs> you were, it's it's the unfortunate circumstance of just way too early, I, and it's so funny because yeah. over the last you know six months, I've talked to dozens of people who were just way too early, right? And um, it's just one of those things. You were you were so visionary at the time really that you were just way way too you were you know five plus years too early right yeah yeah and and the 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 user experience was also just it's hard to build such a thing and um, yep. people have a hard time logging in with an email address and password like how many <laughs> and, yeah so i so i did migrate it to ethereum when ascribe stopped and then we had this weird situation where where the people that had requested the token on the bitcoin blockchain um, did not have access to that token anymore. I mean, the information was still there. It will always be there. Right. 
so then we issued new but they lost you're saying that they so you issued um for pieces you know in 2015 you issued tokens on on bitcoin but those people then maybe lost their wallets or couldn't access them so you reissued them on on ethereum is that what you did Yes, one of the reasons why they could lose access to those Bitcoin tokens was because they might have lost their wallet, but also the, um, the front-end interface that the Ascribe service offered closed. And there was no standalone desktop application that people could still use to access this information. So the information... So there's, still- no way, there's no way with... I mean, I, I would have thought, <coughs> excuse me, they, that they would have somehow been able to... Um, you know, act because like on Ethereum, it's a wallet address, right? And so there are lots of ways of looking at the wallet address, either through, I don't know, any of the dozens of different, you know, um, applications. So there's there was nothing like that on Bitcoin that that you could just use an alternative. As far as I understood, the um, Ascribe stack or structure was that there was basically one um, wallet public key, private key pair that did executed all the transactions on behalf of the users of the front-end interface. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Also, so this they was basically very- held your keys for you, basically, in a way. Yes. Yeah. They were custodian in, and and they also paid all the, the um, transaction costs. Interesting. And wait, yeah. and so they just closed? <laughs> It, they were they had investors and and i guess the investors were breathing behind their net back you know like hey when is this going to happen and they, they had different clients i think the diamond industry was very interested in their product because the distinction between natural and um, synthetic diamonds can only be um, stored in, in such a way but eventually they figured out that the bandwidth of the bitcoin blockchain just wasn't suitable for what they wanted to do so right. they pivoted to become a blockchain company and they built out their own blockchain, which is um, Big Chain DB, okay, and uh, the Ocean Protocol is theirs. Okay. And Koala and um, Spool, it's all open source. So, so somebody might be able to set up a client, uh, talk with Ascribe to get the keys, and connect to those tokens. But it's beyond my uh, capacity. It's probably. I mean, look, we're in the right Discord. Um, you know, you just joined it and I, for everybody in there, we thank you for joining it, uh, the other day and talking to us about your projects and about what you've done and answering all the questions. You've been very, very kind to everybody in the group. And I do appreciate that. And I know, uh, everybody in the group really appreciates it too. Um, so the idea would be that in theory, um, to somehow, uh, kind of rescue those coins off of, of Bitcoin, what, what would be the ideal situation for you i know from like a nft archaeologist perspective um this idea of you know taking those tokens off of bitcoin and putting them in like an emblem vault um is very attractive to collectors right um do you have any thoughts on what you think would be the ideal kind of solution to that um to that situation this is I must admit, kind of a new um, um, desire, or I, I think I've, I thought about this a lot, and there is a certain, let's say, ambivalent or, or dualistic character to 
NFT art because you have the token on one side, which is on a chain, and then you right. have the artwork somewhere in metadata stored somewhere else. Right. And my assumption was, and the way I've operated this was that always you would have the artwork as the thing. And this thing every so many years needs to be updated because software dies by itself and you issue updates and updates. And there is a token connected to this. And the, 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 the token um, also needs to be updated once in a while. And right. we have an immutable system. So this is to, to some extent not possible and not desirable. But on the other hand, tokens can also have uh, bugs and imperfections. And so my, my, the, the, the focus or the, 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 the most important part for me was the artwork and the, the feeling I, I got, which is where the focus is different is in the NFT archeology span group, which I also find interesting and, and, and uh, I, I respect that, but it's an, it's the, the focus seems to be very much on the NFT side, the provenance, the history of that. And you don't mess with that. <laughs> that is the right. <laughs> and um, I'm coming from the digital art world. And initially the NFT token was additional and optional. And so, but I understand that the world is changing and I'm, and I'm feeling this too. So, so just to do, um, yeah. So when we migrated from, from Bitcoin to Ethereum, this all needed to happen in a, in a, in a short time with very little uh, um, experience, like nobody had done that before. Mm -hmm. We, yeah, we, we didn't think about, and I say we, and it's basically me and just we, yeah, the global friends we. that I work with. <laughs> um, but, but it's important for the future to figure this out and do it in a, in a way that's, that's, that's uh, watertight, you know, waterproof right. and future-proof. And um, the new contracts that I'm issuing, the new tokens I'm making consist out of multiple contracts that refer to each other and they, they can be replaced and swapped. And, and in the future, when we, when we are certain that there will no be more bugs to be found, then we can like, like how do you say, seal them or right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it like the general feeling in the NFT community where provenance matters, right? Uh, absolutely very important. Uh, the art also matters, right? That you are a famous artist matters to people, right? That's that's the, the first reason why people are interested because you're somewhat of a well-known artist and people then in like in my group, they recognize, oh my God, he's not only famous, but he did stuff on Bitcoin in 2015 holy cow, right? That was the initial feeling. Uh, and then he, oh, look, he's got these ones on Ethereum. Oh my God, right? And they were basically putting two and two together thinking that, okay, they were on Bitcoin first and now they've been moved to Ethereum. And then it's like, oh my God, and he might be able to recover the ones on Bitcoin. This is very exciting, right? Um, and so like from a, just talking with members of the community, kind of an interesting potentiality of something that may happen, you know, that you can work through or, or work to or towards is this idea of, okay, maybe you are able to re recover the ones on Bitcoin and people own, you know, the same piece of art that's on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of give that the holder a choice. Do they want to keep the one that's on Ethereum or send it to like a burn address and receive the one that's on Bitcoin 
as um as like locked in an emblem vault and they receive that and they're basically receiving it on ethereum but it's you know the the bitcoin uh token locked um and so there there are ways that 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 can happen and still keep you know uh the kind of chain of provenance or you know it's it's all very complex it's a little bit beyond me to be honest but but i mean the guys who are really into it are really into this idea of like you know how the chain moves and the custody moves does that all does it kind of it does it make sense to you or are you just trying to wrap your head around it now as well as kind of i am well as as we discovered that there had been a problem with the file um contract with the artwork by ryan cole actually I, I had been debugging that for, for a few days and I thought, so, so actually I got the, one, of, one of the programmers of Ascribe that also who did the, so I'm still good friends with the people who, who created Ascribe right. and also the people who did the, I think it's opcode or assembly on the Bitcoin chain because there wasn't real smart contract functionality on it. So I would be able to get them on board again and somehow but it's all a matter of yeah, time and expertise. And yeah. some somebody would really, uh, we would need to find somebody who really enjoys do, doing this and has the skills and who can do assembly on, on uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. Yep. Yeah. And they're, they're the, out there. They're out yeah, there. I mean, yes. And it, there, would, there would also be um, once that succeeds, there would definitely be a financial. Um, benefit because there are thousands of artworks in on the Bitcoin blockchain made stored with the Ascribe interface. Many other artists who are my peers and mm-hmm. have enjoyed similar um, recognition. So and they were using Ascribe, and you're saying that those are basically lost for them as well. Yes. Yeah. I could just name a few artists, some of them represented by Bitforms in New York that also use this interface. The, mm-hmm. Those tokens are still there. I, they didn't store the, um, the actual assets, but then Ethereum doesn't either. Um, they, the, they, they might did you, stored- did you Would you store it as like a, um, you would have the image stored on, how did you store the images? Were they stored just in Google or were you using IPFS? Actually, you wouldn't have been doing it in 2015, but um how did you store the images i'm aws aws yeah yeah look man this is i I hold a softer view of nft history man like i know right now we're like of course you want to do it in a decentralized manner it's like no but this wasn't you know we've worked to this step right we've worked to the current understanding of nfts in 10 years it's going to be completely different than today and we'll look back and go you were crazy to do it that way right but yes, you were doing exactly. the best you could at the time, which, yeah. you know, I, I, I hold a much softer lens to it. So there's a funny story about Ascribe because their service was to empower creators to make sure that <laughs> they, they were and then lose their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, it was very they wanted to empower creators by making sure that they would be paid for their their work, but also that it wouldn't be reproduced without uh, consent of the, the makers. So what they did, they created a, a crawler um, that that just scraped the entire internet all the time, searching for copies of things that were in their database. Wow! And the founder Trent McConaughey, uh, once who is a super cool guy, and uh, once told me that they got an email from Amazon 
uh, like, hey, what the, what the hell are you guys doing? Because they were basically making a copy of the internet. And that was really funny. I thought, wow, that's oh. funny. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting to think that that was the idea. Like, let's stop everybody from using it. Um, where more the idea today is, right, everybody can use it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But I have the real one, right? And so, like, you can copy my punk, but everybody knows I have the punk, right? Um, and so it's it's amazing how quickly uh, taste change and um, beliefs change, um, and this idea of shared beliefs and and enough people believing in one thing together uh, shapes how we view the world. It's it's um, really yeah. really interesting. Um, I think why they why they in the end couldn't complete their uh, endeavor was because the business model was such that they were offering a closed service um, that needed uh, investors. And these investors were all the time, like, how are you, you going to monetize this? And it was very, very different from how it's going now. Right. So they, so they had some operations that you could execute. You could consign an artwork to somebody. You could sell it or delete it, I think, just kind of... Well, fun, fun they get, did they give you any warning? Like, hey, we're shutting down the cert. They did, yeah, but it was they, like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? What, what, tell me what your thought process was at the at the, that time. Well, as we were quite closely involved with them and we knew all the people working there, we we just could see that it was at that time financially not viable, not monetizable. So we knew we, they had to close down. And and I also stumbled upon technological restrictions of storing this information on the Bitcoin blockchain. So we, we agreed yet yeah, they couldn't make it happen. They had a grace, a long grace period where people were allowed to log in, take their assets off. Um, and eventually they open sourced all, everything and closed it. So yeah. I think that it was sad, but yeah, it was, I don't see another way how they could have done it. It's interesting. It's um, yeah. It is. It's just. Uh, it's. It's. In, I mean, when I when I think about Bitcoin and the Bitcoin, you know, blockchain, and how it was so big, and so many artists tried to make Bitcoin work, um, but it just wasn't meant to do what you know Ethereum's meant to do, and and yeah. Ethereum's just. It's just the next step, right? It's the one that works. And, um, but I do appreciate all these artists who tried to, you know, tried to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of when we look back historically, and that's part of like, you know, the NFT archaeology groups, what we're all about is this idea of like, hey, these were first steps. These were people taking steps into the unknown, trying to do something. They had a larger vision. They understood at least the beginning steps of what was possible. And we're trying to make it work on basically a system where there was no way it was going to work. Right. Um, And so recovering those would be of value to people. I know Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, So I think that's a project that is uh, very worthwhile. Uh, I know it will get a lot of traction in, in, uh, in my group. uh, And we have a lot of devs in there who would love to take this project on because it's, um, you know, it would be interesting and fun and very rewarding, as you said, if, if it can actually um, happen. How many of like your works or works from Left Gallery were on Bitcoin and have actually you actually reissued them on Ethereum? Like, how, do you have an idea of how many actually you've done? So that would be most works that are from before 2018. 
-hmm. except for some ebooks that were in a very large or unlimited edition. So I would say like eight different works and each of these works would be in an edition from, well, most of them are between 80 and 100. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, one, the first one, actually, I don't know, a friend of mine on Twitter and Discord, first one he made me, first one I became aware of you and left gallery was uh, Monaco. Uh, mix. Monaco Mix, that's right. Um, I was trying to remember. I remembered Monaco because it stands out, but Monaco Mix. Tell me a little bit about that because that was the first one he, I found. He was like, dude, go now. They're selling out quick. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was one of those. So tell me a little bit about uh, the history of that, that yeah. piece of art. I, at, at the time, I was making a drawing software because I thought it would be kind of when you draw a line, you do it in a certain speed. There is so much... Um, let's say human information it's also how captchas are used nowadays like there's so much to say from the speed and movement of a line so i thought let's capture that and replay it and replay it and then within a very short time i had this drawing software that was super fun and then i i met um rita vitorelli she's a, a, a austrian artist living in berlin who her practice is basically making drawings so i I, I let her play with it and she loved it. And we made all these, she made all these drawings. I added features. And around that time, Left Gallery started and she made a selection. She, she would always travel and then make a bunch of drawings, like a hundred in a city. And then she would make a selection and that would, that's where the Monaco comes from. This one was shown on a boat in Monaco. Okay. She's done a few other, in other cities and we made it into software. And uh, yeah, that's where it's coming from. So how, when you did, so it was a piece of software, not like a, a, a GIF or an animation then. So nope. when you did that on Bitcoin first, what was it pointing to or what was, or was it even, was it just a URL that went to AWS and then you could download it from AWS? Is that what it was mm -hmm. when it was on Bitcoin? I believe that the Ascribe system had a concept of accounts and transactions with these accounts were made by one user on the Bitcoin blockchain. And they, these probably had some sort of an ID and probably something short as a number that they would then point to something in the Ascribe database that mapped it to a history of assets on AWS. That probably something like this. And, and users were identified. My brain just melted, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the beauty of like a scribe was that it did this kind of all this back end work, right? You could just kind of put the file there and create the create the token, right? It's kind yeah. of like that was the beauty of it, right? There was no MetaMask for Bitcoin at the time or, <laughs> or something like that. There was no right. concept of that. So and pe people didn't have wallets. So. Yep. Yeah, th this was also very interesting for them because they were they were signing all transactions with this one centralized ascribe pr primary key that they just paid for the transaction costs and during their lifetime those became. I mean, you think about it; it's cr it's literally crazy what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were figuring things out. It was pioneering. Yeah, it's pioneering. Yeah. Crazy, but pioneering. <laughs> Here, what we'll do is we'll hold all the keys. 
We will do everything for you. <laughs> Hope we don't get hacked and we'll be good. And it's like, okay, all right, but it's easy. So, I mean, it's funny, but um, yeah. I think a lot of what, what, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I think um, because the front end that they were, they were offering did not require keys. It just had the username and password login, and then you could do all transactions. So that, that must mean that they hold on to the, to the key that does transaction on on the network but sure. maybe maybe they had shards or something or like a bunch of keys i don't know this we 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 could i could put you in touch with the the architect of ascribe to oh, that'd be to find to get more information about this i think that they would actually be very interested in this because they had a really good idea and managed to have a workable like an executed this idea and then unfortunately had to close down. So I think they are actually, yeah, would be very interested to, to give more attention to, to this pioneering uh, activity. Yeah. It, it might be fun, uh, really fun, honestly, from a uh, historical blockchain perspective um, to kind of revisit it and, and, you know, have the professional developers dig in and maybe figure some, some of the, something out uh, would be, just make a great story right uh mm -hmm. it would it would be a, an incredible story uh from an arch nft archaeology perspective and um to fig you know to tell their story a little bit because i'd never even really heard about them um mm -hmm. would be would be super cool how do you envision kind of the what's your envisionment of nfts in the future now that you've seen this kind of movement from strictly kind of digital art and the token becomes kind of an additive to it or something in addition to the, the token almost. I mean, it, I've heard people say the token is the art, right? And you have this kind of um, interesting thing of like, what is the actual art, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, a couple of different artists have played with that idea is like, does the art, is the art just kind of this esoteric thing and the token just symbolizes it? You know, what... What, how do you feel about all of that? Like, give me the artist's perspective. Yeah, I think the relation between the token and the actual artwork is so arbitrary now that, that you have all this, also these this jokes where artists just suddenly change the content of the token and like, hey, you see, I can do that, it's mutable. And so I, I hope that, that we will have higher bandwidth and throughput where, I mean, we, we, we probably can't store the actual assets on chain, but somehow to put more checksums or redundancy things back on chain to verify the content. Mm -hmm. So there's a tighter integration there. But on the other hand, I just know that software, the, the thing that is being represented needs needs to, from a conservationist perspective, needs to be upgraded once in a while because the hardware you're watching it on gets outdated as well. So, that, I mean, there's whole, that's, that's what museums are for. They're doing this all the time to keep artworks alive, especially digital artworks. And then with the advent of immutability, that's awesome, but it also prevents some improvement or bug fixing or so so this this distinction between what parts are immutable and which are, are immutable so needs to be much clearer in, on both the, the the token crypto side and the, the the asset yeah yep yeah there's there's lots of um lots of problems and challenges that are going to have to be uh faced over the course of the next i guess decade maybe two decades right um and we're just at the baby step we're just at the start um 
And uh, I mean, I have many discussions with people about, I mean, there are people who are like, well, if it's not on chain, it's not, you know, <laughs> and, you know, they won't want everything on chain ever going to happen. Uh, I would love everything to be on chain. Future. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just want everything on chain, including the I images. Mean, I'm like, well, that would be amazing, but we know that's not possible. But, but some, at least somehow, by current technology, right? Yeah. Maybe it will be in some magical, you know, technological future that we can't imagine now. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I, I look at it as just that it's an evolving, it's evolving, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what we determine to be acceptable or what is an NFT, what is art. All of this stuff kind of changes and grows over time. Um, and I see it a lot. I mean, you're probably not so involved in the like NFT, NFT space like I am, where it's like there's this whole debate about, well, the, you know, all these NFTs from 2015 and 26, they weren't NFTs because they were whatever. It was a rare Pepe and they made 100 of them. So that's not an NFT because an NFT is a one of one, right? And you get all of these arguments which are literally just taken from this perspective, which is today's perspective, right? And it doesn't take into account like where people were in 2015, what they were thinking about in 2015. Mm -hmm. So like when you did Monaco Mix, right? You made whatever, a hundred versions, right? Or a hundred mm -hmm. copies of it, right? Because that's what was done or that's what you thought was appropriate in whatever, 2015. Do Has your view changed on that at all with the advent and the modernization of nfts or or do you still feel like no you can make copies of a digital art well we, what we were doing was to make art collectors who would buy let's say paintings and sculptures and we we, we would try to seduce them to also buy digital art and the way to do that was to apply artificial scarcity in a similar way that they were familiar with, as you do with photos, for example. So with a photo, they're all the same. You have edition one to five, then maybe there's two APs. And we could do this because they were familiar with it and we now could do it in blockchain. And that helped. But then you still take the, the old school art world as paradigm. And because we had to, because that, at that time, that was the only art world where, the, where there was money and interest for, for art. Now, it's a bit more, well, you know, it's quite a bit more complicated because there is now a whole new generation of people who might not come from this like old school art world who, who now also say we are art collectors and, and we like unique artworks. So yeah, I, the, especially in, the, in this uh, PFP project, what's called the, like the apes and all these like the punks, they're all each one unique, large series. So this is, you can do it also because it's algorithmic. Like in the in the past, you couldn't do hundred prints of a photo if it was not digitally generated or, or it was harder. So, yeah, the, the paradigm is shifting, and I'm I'm writing between both worlds because I, I I am coming from tech, but I'm I'm also coming from the the old art world, and and crypto came a bit later. And where do you see it going in the next five years? What, what's your vision for it? I work also with brick and mortar galleries. And uh, well, not the ones that I'm working with, but I know there are some galleries that say, we don't want to, we don't do this. Bitcoin is for drug deals. We don't do it. Right. So, and, but then there's also galleries that, that, galleries that see this like, hey, this is actually 
this is going somewhere and and we have to find out what we how we can use this how how can we connect this to our collectors and so i'm more i'm more there i think there will be new hybrids there will be nft sections on art fairs like these these kind of things yeah it's yep. already happening and with the yeah. The, the mutant garden project that which was 512 tokens the first 64 we offered them exclusively to collectors of the the gallery in amsterdam and for most of them this was the first nft they ever bought we helped them set up a wallet we told them don't lose the 12 words and <laughs> and, 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 so, and so they bought the first 64 and then we opened up the project on, on the release date the rest of them was gone in two and a half hours but that has really, because of that, the token is now in some collections, art collections in the Netherlands that have already bought work from, from me in, in the past. So it was a nice distribution and also kind of show respect to, to that old guard, but also mm -hmm. to try to pull them in towards this new world. Yeah, I think it's uh, like you said, it's a, it's a pulling or an enticement to try and move people to the new world. Um, from my own life, I, 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 you know, I'm not in the art world, but I, I remember when... Um, you remember back in the 80s when rap music started I, I was listening to rap music in the in the early early 80s and there were literally people who were like that's not music that's mm -hmm. not music and it i i feel like this is almost of the same thing or when electronic music started right people would be like oh that's not music you're pushing a button on a keyboard and it's creating a beat that's not real music right um and i i feel like from my own rough perspective that that's what we over the last year there's been a quickening of this idea that, you know, what you've been doing for years, digital art um, as real art uh, has, as like in the general culture has taken hold. And I think NFTs have really, really facilitated that mm -hmm. because the idea before was digital art. Well, like you can make a million copies, right? And, but what NFTs do, obviously locking in that scarcity um, where, a renowned artist like yourself can lock in scarcity. And mm -hmm. I know that I've bought a one of one, uh, I think it's quite revolutionary. Um, yeah. Do you feel the same way about that? Yes. And I don't think it's going to disappear. And there is still hesitation from some people. And actually, it's surprising that these people who resist are not necessarily older people. Like there's collectors who are 70 who really want this. And there's also collectors who are like, I don't know, 40 who were like, no, 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 no. So it does, it's not age, but it's a certain attitude and it's a certain, um, yeah, there is some jumps to be made in, in terms of sometimes even ethics or like, like the, the idea that the digital art world, di digital artwork would be online and accessible to all. And now to limit the ownership, I mean, we understand that there's a strict distinction or difference between access and ownership. So basically NFTs are public sculptures. It's just, but for many people, they conflate the terms and, and then see that the, the, the promise of digital art, which was democratizing um, digital yeah. art, they see as if it's now being taken away again from them. So there's, there's some, under, some explanation to do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think it, it's, um, like you just said, there's awareness that needs to happen um, but it's happening, I, I think, at an, just an incredible rate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm in the middle of it. Um, and when I talk to my friends and my family, they look at me confused and bewildered. They don't get it yet. 
Um, and I'm trying to walk them through getting a MetaMask, right? They, uh, they don't understand what's going on. Um, which, and you look at the numbers of people who are on OpenSea or whatever, and it's just the tiniest sliver of the world. I mean, it is a super small community, but I think we're just, we get it. And I think the rest of the world will catch up much like, uh, you know, rap music in the eighties where everybody finally recognized, Oh no, no, of course, I've always liked rap music. You know what I mean? And so I think there's actually tremendous opportunity for the people who are early and early adopters like yourself, um, to, to be the visionaries and the pioneers. And in 20 years, we look back and go, of course, harm of a, you know, of course, of course I want my NFT. Why would I ever want just the digital file? I want the, you know, um, but I, so that, that to me is super exciting, uh, to help, sh you know, create that future, uh, mm -hmm. and create those stories that, that will influence the way people look at these things. Um, is is super super exciting to me i mean for you and this was one of the questions that that came in the discord for me was like you know you you have like um tokenized apps screensavers and stuff like this these digital works uh now and even ones you're going to produce in the future are you always going to be now looking at okay well how can i tie these as nfts as well or, or will you still just do digital you know digital kind of work that you don't do as nfts or which how do you look at it going forward I think I cannot not take it into account whatever I produce. I do believe, though, that there, there are digital artworks that might be more like networked installations that would be difficult to translate to NFTs. If you, if you would have, let's say, a multi-channel art installation with multiple computers and ins installation instructions and customized hardware sure i wouldn't know how to how to tokenize this so and yeah. then you can and so so i also had some artworks that are made to be shown as an installation multi-screen uh, custom computer i did make nfts out of some of them but what the, the nft metadata references is not really the artwork it is more so there is a very big uh, space between the actual artwork and the and the nft right and and i like i think nfts are the most powerful when when they're very close together where where one is completely defined by the other so like like mutant garden that, that yeah. there's very much the case you have a yes. you have a dog i have a cat but luckily my oh I, i'm sorry yeah hold on one second no problem. <laughs> I'm yelling at him. <laughs> dog, I have two dogs, a pig, and a cat. So yes, it's oh. a barn here. We've got a. <laughs> Where are you located? I'm in Costa Rica. Oh, yeah, wow. I've been here for about 20 years, and um, yeah, do lots of dogs. I only have two now, um, but lots of dogs, <laughs> and they bark at everything. Uh, apologize for that. The um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The The future is going to be um, very cool. And I, I definitely appreciate, you know, NFTs don't fit into everything. Uh, there's, there's a reason to use them and there's a reason not to use them, right? If you want to do something that's unlimited, let everybody have it. There's no reason to do NFTs. NFTs are to this, at least currently, the way we current think, currently think of them is, is for provenance and, and for scarcity. Um, 
And it, it is just incredible to see where it's gone. And I'm sure, I mean, how, when, when you first saw, for example, I think it was probably a couple of weeks ago when people started, obviously friends of mine and, and everybody started, um, you were probably getting pinged on emails, like, you know, sale, another sale, another sale. What was your initial like thought when you saw that happening? Well, well, it, it hinted, I didn't fully understand it. I mean, of course I was happy and the artists whose work was selling was, were, was also super happy. I was like, what, what exactly, because the work didn't change. And so the, so where did the artist give an interview or a talk right. somewhere or, and then the, 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 the archeology span of the, of the NFT started to sink in. And then it also became clear why migrating from contact to another was well not was not the, the prettiest way to deal with this so um yeah i was a bit overwhelmed and sure. also this, the system that i had built that had worked quite well when like once in a while somebody buys something and now suddenly right. <laughs> <laughs> hey websites <laughs> crashing right oh yeah. yeah and and the concurrency was not right because well it's, it's building with blockchain transactions but if you have a, a front-end system with edition numbers and you right. have five people trying to buy the same thing it wasn't built for i never expected right. that so so I yeah i wanted to ask about that because that was um like it was uh to number 100 i guess the one i think it was the file one recently right mm -hmm. and um so obviously people in the group were like oh my god go now i went i aped into uh i think i got number 100 right um lucky me i get the number 100 and then somebody in the group's like i got 107. <laughs> no, it, that, that that hurt my developer heart you know is that those numbers. so so i i did mostly manage to give people who bought like edition 101 or 102 to to then give them an earlier one that i once minted right. but at some point my to i was out of tokens so i also had to refund some people um, yeah yeah i'm sorry about that well I think you'll find um, in our community, at least people are, are generous and, uh, and appreciate the efforts you've made, appreciate your communication and your transparency. For most people who I know in the space, that's, that's all that's required is, is transparency and a willingness to, to be helpful. And you've been above and beyond awesome. And, and so again, I thank you from everybody in the group. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, if our group can help you know, dig up these old Bitcoin ones and see how that works out. And, uh, but man, I've, I've really appreciated your, you taking the time with me today. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice to meet you.